welcome a new baby. Um, this is their fourth child in our, their third child in our fourth grandchild, all girls. One of the pleasures of this summer was getting to spend a little bit more relaxed time with them. But I was also so glad to hear that uh, things went so well here while we were away. I mean, it's, yeah, it's nice to be missed, but one of my main goals as a lead pastor is to continue to improve the health and the maturity of our congregation. It is not one of my goals to be uh, the center of attention. It's not one of my goals to be the only one making uh, ministry decisions. I want all of us to be growing in emotional and spiritual health and maturity, especially our leaders. And by leaders, I mean, of course, our ministry team and our church board, but I also mean anybody who uh, takes responsibility in any area of ministry in our congregation, whether it's uh, in worship or in children's ministries or in youth ministries, men's or women's ministries, prayer ministries, outreach, whatever it might be. I hope that we're all growing in emotional and spiritual maturity and health. And as I thought about that, it reminded me of Paul's prayer for in Colossians 1. It's a prayer that, uh, that fits the prayers that I pray for us as a congregation, that I pray for you and for us. Paul says in Colossians 1, he says, may, uh, may God our Father give you grace and peace. I always pray for you, giving thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And he says, I have not stopped praying for you. And this is where I would own these words for us. I have not stopped praying for us. I ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. I do ask that, that God would give you, would give us complete knowledge of his will, that he would give you, that he would give us spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he says, Paul says, then the way you live, or I pray that because then the way that you live will always honor and please the Lord. I pray those things so that the way we live would honor and please the Lord. And so your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, I pray that all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And that's my prayer for us, that all the while, throughout all of the ways that you connect with us, the ways you connect with God in other ways beyond our life together, that you will continue to grow as you learn to know God better and better. I also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. You know that if you're following Jesus, you need endurance, well, even if you're not, you need endurance and patience. And I pray that you would be strengthened with his glorious power so that you will always have all the endurance and patience you need. And may you be filled with joy. I particularly like that line in our communion prayers where we say, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. I I just, as I read that prayer of Paul, I just want to say amen and yes, yes, because if we're really growing in those ways in our life together, then our li- we shouldn't really miss a beat when I'm away or when anyone else is away. Uh, because as a congregation, we should be able to continue to grow and flourish and be fine as the Holy Spirit guides and directs our healthy and our mature leaders at all levels. And guess what? Guess what? I think that's exactly what happened this summer. I think that, that's what happened this summer. I'm, I'm thrilled that our, our Sunday worship was, was vibrant and that our preaching was strong this summer. 
let me just give you a little footnote there too, by the way. Um, my hope is that when someone else is preaching, they preach great sermons here. I know some of us have preferences for styles and how people preach and how sermons unfold and so on, but my hope is that when Jeremy or Josh is preaching or anybody else, that we, ha- we hear a powerful uh, exhortation from the Word of God and that the person who's preaching does really well. Um, I noticed that this summer, I took notice this summer that um, our, children, our youth ministries moved forward with regular gatherings, with a missions trip, with a fall kickoff. I noticed that we changed directors of children's ministry with a fairly smooth handoff. I took notice that Vacation Bible School went so well it was almost overwhelming. I heard from the people who were involved that it was almost overwhelming. I, I noticed that women's ministries moved forward, that men's ministries moved forward this summer. I noticed that our next steps classes move forward in a a really strong way. I noticed that we're updating the decor of the building, that we were served by two ministry interns this summer, that the planning for our fall picnic in two weeks is well underway and all the details are in place. I took notice that there was a lot of networking and a gathering of young adults, uh, post-high school young adults, that's going to be happening again actually this Friday evening. And I also took notice there was a new prayer initiative that emerged this summer. And I am just so proud of you, so proud of us, so grateful to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit was at work among us, moving us forward, drawing us deeper, and helping us to look more and more like Jesus, to, to, to know God, to learn to know God better and better through as a result. And I'm so glad to be a part of what God is doing here among us as a congregation. But I have, to, I have to also say, I took notice that we're not perfect. And uh, those of you who, uh, <laughs> I once heard the pastor say, <clears throat> those of you who have the gift of complaining or the gift of criticism, pay attention. Uh, I took notice that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, that moving forward, but I think you know that moving forward doesn't mean that there are never any glitches. I mean, we continue to make mistakes regularly. But If you think about your own journey, you realize that making mistakes is part of how you grow and how you mature. If you think about your mistakes and if you reflect on, if you learn from them, if if you're not thinking about them, not reflecting on them, you just repeat the same mistakes over and over. But I'd like to think that we're paying attention when when we fail or when we make a mistake. I once heard someone say that if you're not making mistakes, you're not, and if you're not failing at least some of the time, it probably means you're not trying anything new. You're not, taking, you're not taking risks that are big enough. And so I hope that, I think you understand what I mean when I say this, I hope that you continue to see us failing sometimes because it means that we're trying some things, right? We're, we're learning and growing and we're moving forward. We're ri- taking some risks, I also believe that as we continue to grow in, in spiritual and um, emotional health and maturity, we continue to believe that God's work among us is designed to spread blessing and hope and joy in at least three directions that are reflected in our mission statement. Our goal, our hope is to reflect a blessing and hope and joy back to God. I mean, isn't it terrific to imagine that God himself is blessed, that God is more hopeful for this part of the country, of the world, that God is filled with joy when he sees what's happening here among us? I mean, everything about our lives and everything about our life together is meant to demonstrate how great God is, how amazing God is that he could accomplish so much through such broken, people with such broken histories or people with some limit, such limited ability Our goal is to bring glory to God because of how amazing his work is among us. 
Our hope is as well that our, that blessing and hope flows within us and among us. That blessing and hope and joy is something that we extend to each other and that we share together. Because God's blessing for us really is meant for us to enjoy, for us to prosper and, uh, and flourish in the lives that we live. God's purpose is for us to reflect blessing and hope and joy to each other as we enjoy the journey of, flowing, of his love flowing in us and through us. And then the third direction Obviously, we want to be blessing and honoring God, blessing and honoring each other, but we also want to be blessing and honoring our neighbors, the people around us, so that anyone who who comes in touch with what's happening here or who hears about it is touched by blessing and hope and joy. Because God's uh, purpose in blessing us really is for the blessing that he gives us to overflow into and impacting the people around us. Obviously, yeah, the people who are within this, the one-mile radius around our church building as we focused on that this past year, but also to anyone who comes into contact with any of us in the places where we live, where we work, or where we play, so that anyone who's disconnected from God will know that God is real, that God is truly present among us, and that God is truly at work among us, and that they would see you, that they would see us together as a, as a source of hope a source of hope, of, of, of blessing, and a promise of new life. So with that in mind, and as we move forward from the Get Messy sermon series that we just finished about reaching out to the people around us, um, I thought it might be helpful for me to highlight a passage of Scripture that stood out to me uh, at one morning uh, during my, my sabbatical, something I took notice of. As Jen said, I, I felt like I had a little bit more time to slow down and reflect on my own journey and spent some of the days of quiet that way this, this summer. And one of the times, we were, Nita and I were at a retreat center for part of the time that we were away, where they had structured morning prayers that we uh, got up for each morning and participated in. And one, one morning, we were invited to meditate on a passage of Scripture. And the one that stood out to me was the one that you heard read this morning from John 1. John 1 is a, is a glorious, poetic exploration and explanation of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And I just, I want to highlight the two verses that stood out to me as I meditated on this passage of Scripture several weeks ago. The first verse is verse 18 from the passage that we just heard read, where it says, in the New Living Translation, it says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. In the New International Version, that same verse reads, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The one and only Son has made God known to us. Jesus, who is himself God, has revealed God to us. Or or we might say, in Jesus, we have the clearest, most accurate, most complete picture of who God is and of what God is like. The, most cl- the clearest picture that anyone has ever had, that people have any, anyone's had in history. And Paul, in, in the New Testament, in Paul's letters, he's just thrilled to know that we have such a clear picture resolving a lot of things that were previously hidden and d- people didn't understand as clearly until Jesus came. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. We see God most clearly in Jesus And with that in mind, I go back up to verse 14, which from the New Living Translation reads, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
In the New International Version, that verse reads, the, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So as the clearest picture of God we have, we see that Jesus was full of grace and truth, that God is full of grace and truth. And as I sat there that morning, I was just kind of pondering and sort of playing with those words and thinking, well, are grace and truth like two tanks that Jesus had on his back where, you know, sometimes you would get grace and other times you would get truth or maybe sometimes you get a blend, you know, like a soft ice cream machine, a soft serve ice cream machine where you can get chocolate or, or vanilla or you can get the blend. Was Jesus just an artist who was blending those things as the moment required? Or maybe if you're somebody who likes word games or you want to meditate on this a little more fully, is what I was playing with was, is truth the substance and is it, does this talk about graceful truth, that truth is really what's being delivered, but it's grace is the flavoring of how that truth is delivered? Or is it grace that's the substance and truth is kind of the flavoring of the grace that comes to us? Is it truthful grace or graceful truth? Now, that didn't hit the mark for all of you, but for some of you, maybe you want to chew on that a little bit. (laughs) I want to suggest to you this morning, though, that I believe that Jesus' words were full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, that they were blended together in what Jesus said and did. Let me give you an example. In the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10, we have the story of a wealthy young man who came to Jesus and asked Jesus what he was lacking to inherit eternal life. To be live, or we might say to be living the way God wanted him to live. He, there's clearly some kind of restlessness in the, this young man, not feeling like he had quite cleared the bar in some way. So he said to Jesus, I have carefully lived by, I've carefully kept the commandments since I was a boy. And then Mark says this, in this lovely phrase, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at this young man after he asked this question and he loved this young man. And then what he said, what Jesus said was he told the young man that the one thing he still needed to do was to sell everything he had, give the proceeds to the poor, and then follow Jesus. Every time I read that, I kind of wince because I'm glad that Jesus has never come to me and said that to me directly. And I think, well, isn't there some context that would help me understand that better? Notice the text says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And that, that, that loving of the young man guided what he said to him. He told him the truth because he loved him. Jesus wanted what was best for this young man so much that he went, very hard, he went straight to the heart of this young man's restlessness. This young man, unfortunately, was evidently more attached to his own comfort than he was to his desire for God because Mark, the, the Mark 10 says his face fell and he went away sad because he was very rich. The grace of God's truth wasn't very comforting for him. You know, as, as followers of Jesus, our call is to reflect the nature and character of God to each other and to the people around us as we go about our lives in much the same way he did, to reflect who God is. Not as, obviously, we, we, we don't manage that as, as well as he did or as clearly as he did, but nonetheless, to reflect who God is in the same way that Jesus did. N.T. Wright says we should think of ourselves like angled mirrors, angled mirrors in whom uh, the people around us can see God 
and in whom God can see the people around us, that we're reflecting God to the people around us. And you might say our goal is to be as clean as we can as a mirror, as a reflector, to get cleaner and cleaner as a reflector of God so that when people look at us, they see God or they see Jesus reflected well or clearly. And that would be one of the ways I would think about emotional, spiritual health and maturity is that as we grow in health and maturity, I'd like to think that we become a clearer and clearer picture of who Jesus is and what, what God is like. And that's, obviously, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out so much so that over, over time, hopefully, we, we, amaze our, we become amazed at ourselves. We're amazed, the, the, we amaze the people around us who say, well, you know, you're different. You're, you're not as angry as you used to be. You're not, as tra- you're not trapped in sin the way you used to be. I see God more clearly in you. I think one of the parts of what that picture means, what that reflection means, is to be full of grace and truth. Jeremy touched on this two weeks ago in his sermon where he said, speak the truth in love. Don't use the truth as a blunt instrument. Think about how you speak the truth, how you live it out. So I think we we come to the question of what does grace and truth look like in our own lives? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to think of an issue or a cause or a person in your life this last week or this last month who has stirred up strong feelings in you. And I'm going to invite you to think about how you responded to that. But I want to give you two examples of where I saw uh, grace and truth blended together in a, in, in a just right way from my sabbatical learning. I'm going to give you two examples and invite you to think about your own journey. The first one comes from a stop that we made in our, we, we, we had, uh, we're on a road trip, a learning road trip, you might say, for an extended part of May and June. The, one of the places we stopped was the, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and Museum in Birmingham, Alabama. We were on our way, our, our primary destination was beyond that in Montgomery. We wanted to go to... Um, the Legacy Museum and the lynching memorial that were uh, established by Equal Justice Initiative, and we did go there after this. But on our way there, we stopped in Birmingham at the Civil Rights Institute. And it's just across the street from Kelly Ingram Park where there are placards in place that tell the story of what happened on those streets and in Kelly Ingram Park in 1963 as part of the Civil Rights Movement, the early uh, yeah, the early part of the civil rights movement. And one of the things I learned about on one of the placards there that I, I'd never heard, of before, heard about before is called the Ten Commandments of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. The Ten Commandments of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. Everybody who participated in these marches was asked to, to sign, and I, there's a document with a signature bar at the bottom. You're asked to sign this pledge as an application of the way of Jesus in standing up to injustice in 1963 as part of these activities. I'm just going to read you the first four. You can find these online, which is where I found them. Um, The first of them, the first of these Ten Commandments is to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. If you want to participate in this movement, you need to pledge to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus, first of all. Secondly, remember that the nonviolent movement that you're going to be part of seeks justice and reconciliation not victory. Thirdly, I pledge to walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. That's what I was talking about a moment ago, reflecting who God is. I'm pledging to walk in the manner of love because God is love, so that I will reflect God faithfully. And number four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free, that all men might be free. The one, the, the one of these commandments, or yeah, Ten Commandments, the one, the one that jumped out at me was the second one. 
when I read that, number two, where it says, remember that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. When I read that, I just thought, wow, there it is, grace and truth. Grace and truth, the way of Jesus. Because the grace, well, if you're like me, it's hard to think of the perfect blend of grace and truth in troubled situations. I'm always kind of, you know, finding I want to do one or the other, but I sure know it when I see it or when I hear it. When I hear somebody got the, the tone just right, I think, yes, that's it. And that's what happened to me when I read this phrase. It's, it's a fresh perspective. It addresses all the sides of the issue, and it sounds like something Jesus would say. So here, what, what I understand this to mean is that our goal is not to win. Our goal is to bring about justice and reconciliation. The grace part is recognizing that the people who oppose me are human beings for whom Christ died. I'm not seeking to beat down or to destroy my enemies, even though they've done hateful things to me. My goal is not to triumph over them, to win. The truth is that we just want to be free. We just want to be free to live our lives like anybody else. We want to be free to work where we want to. We want to be free to travel. We want to be free to vote. We want to be free to spend our money as we care to. We want to be free to go to school where we, where we want to. We want to be free to buy and sell like anyone else. We want to be free to live and work without fear. We just want freedom from being mistreated. So I, I just haven't forgotten it. That, that phrase just rings to me. And it just, I think especially in the context of some of the arguments we have in public conversation today, I feel like a lot of the impulse that I hear is the, 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 uh, the desire to win, to try, you know, to knock down my enemies. And I think that maybe that's why this stood out to me. Remember that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Second example. Second example comes from a podcast that uh, I listened to, I heard uh, as we were traveling. We logged a lot of miles, listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, isn't podcasting great? Radio on demand. You're not subject to whatever you can dial. We tried some of that too, and that didn't go so well. Because we were in big open spaces where there was you know, poor radio coverage, but we had podcasts downloaded so we could listen. Anyway, this one was recorded in early July, shortly after the Supreme Court reversed the Roe versus Wade decision this summer. And as you may know, there were, you know, some people reacted with a lot of enthusiasm and joy. Other people uh, responded with dismay. This uh, podcast, uh, the, the podcaster was interviewing a professor of Christian ethics about how this person thought Christians ought to be processing this development in our public culture. And the, the line that he said that jumped out to me in this interview was, our goal, he meant our kingdom goal, is not to make abortion illegal, it's to make abortion unthinkable. And I thought, well, yeah, there it is, a blend of truth and grace. The truth being that uh, almost everyone agrees that abortion is awful, that it's regrettable, and it's heartbreaking when it happens. But the grace side is that these are real people who are involved in, in abortion, either you know, the doctors, the, the patients, and we can show compassion for women whose situation makes abortion seem like the best option for them. And we can be just as heartbroken about that kind of situation. I realized as I, as I heard that, that one of the ways that I've been spared, I guess, in my life is that neither I nor Nita have been in a situation where it felt to us like abortion was the best option for us. I can't imagine how terrible it must be to be in that situation. It doesn't mean that abortion is, is acceptable or is a good thing. But I can have compassion for somebody 
And I can hope that our society, be, that we would be working, I think the way of Jesus would be to, work, to be working together so that our, our society, our culture, our local environments would be such that nobody would ever have to think, nobody would ever be in a situation where abortion seemed like the best option. And having raised this issue, I just want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you're hearing me talk about this, if you've been in that situation, if you are right now, if you've been in that situation, maybe you've had an abortion, I just want to say to you, I am so sorry that you ended up in a situation where abortion seemed like the best option to you. That must have been an extremely painful situation, and I regret with you that, that that's, that's how things played out or how the situation you were in. And as you think about that this morning, I just wonder, have you ever talked with, walked with someone in that situation where you were close enough to them to wrestle with these issues and maybe help to provide better options so that abortion would no longer seem like the best option? I was just struck by that. Our, our kingdom goal is not so much to make abortion illegal, it's to make abortion unthinkable to work so that conditions in the places in which we live, the society in which we live, would never leave someone in a position where they thought that was, that was their best option. Well, those are two examples from my summer. I'd, I'd actually, I'd really be delighted to hear examples from you of grace and truth perfectly blended from your own recent experiences where you have seen somebody or a group or something, where you've seen grace and truth blended just right, where the Holy Spirit has inspired, maybe inspired you in a situation you've been in or inspired someone else. I'd love to hear about that. One of the challenges is that reflecting grace and truth doesn't make for very easy slogans that you can shout at your opponents. And I think too much of our public conversation, even among followers of Jesus, is being reduced to slogans. Uh, You know, some people want us to line up with this group over here and shout truth, truth, truth stuff. And other people want us to line up over here with another group that's shouting grace, grace, grace. And we try to reduce complicated questions to really simplistic slogans that we can kind of shout at each other. I'm going to invite you to think back over the past week or so. The past week, where have your feelings been stirred up about an issue or a cause or a person? Maybe it was a news story or something you read and your feelings rose up when you read about that or you you heard what that person said or this issue came up again and maybe I've touched a nerve with some of the ones I've mentioned this morning. Maybe it has to do with the start of the school year or something you heard about in the political arena. I just want to invite you to think about that, that moment and that thing that came to mind for you and, and think about how, what, was prim- what was motivating your response. Was it mostly a desire to set somebody straight, to assert the truth? Well, there's nothing wrong with that at, at root. Or maybe it was shaped mostly by your concern for the people who were impacted. That's a worthy impulse as well. And your heart was going out to people that were impacted. But I'd just like you to think about this as you move into the week to come, as you think about that that situation, that person, or that issue, and to think about what would it look like for you to be talking about that issue in such a way that you're communicating both grace and truth both grace and truth as you respond to that issue. You're probably not going to think of the perfect answer immediately. It's probably something you're going to have to listen to the Holy Spirit about for a while. The the two things I offered you this morning didn't come from me. I just recognized it in in other wise people. 
But when you, when you land on this blend of grace and truth, I promise you, you're not going to be demeaning the people on the other side of the issue from you, demeaning people on either side of the issue. You're going to be wanting what's truly best for all of the people involved and all the people impacted. <clears throat> and you may find yourself listening as much as you speak, thinking before you speak about this issue or with this person. And I urge you to resist the temptation to oversimplify complicated situations into simple slogans. Let me end with a prayer for us that echoes some of the themes from where I started this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you again this morning that you have made the Father known to us. We thank you for giving us such a clear picture of who God is. Thank you for becoming flesh and for making your dwelling among us. And Lord, today we're especially challenged by the way you were full of grace and truth. We want to reflect that part of who you are, especially well this week and in our time. We want to reflect that part of who you are in the ways that we treat and speak to each other, the ways that our neighbors. Lord, we ask that you would give us complete knowledge of your will to give us spiritual wisdom and understanding so that the way we live will always honor and please you and so that our lives would produce every kind of good fruit. Lord, strengthen us with your glorious power so that we'll have all the endurance and patience we need. And may we be filled with your peace and your joy 